Will you help me first and foremost welcome everybody joining us at Littleton, Lakewood, Arvada, Evergreen, Brussels, and the men and women at our God Behind Bars campus. We're so glad you guys are with us. Um, how many of you have kids? You got kids? Do, do kids not say some of the funniest things in the world? I wish I'd written down all the things that my kids have said throughout the years that are just hilarious. But um, in an effort sort of to show you how funny kids are and some of the things that they say and some of the questions that kids ask, um, some parents tweeted in, these are real questions that their kids have asked. So here's the first one. Um, a mom sends this in on Twitter. A uh, five-year-old boy says this, mommy, my belly hurts. Am I pregnant? <laughs> One, one mom sends this one in. Their uh, little girl says, in the olden days, was everything black and white? <laughs> well, one mom says, um, while the cookies were baking, they were in the oven. Her, her little son walks up to the door and says, are the cookies loading? <laughs> this one's hilarious. Um, I just had to put this one in here. One little guy said, um, why do spiders run away when I fart? Oh, wait, that was Chad. <laughs> this is a great question, great question. Why did swear words get invented if you're not allowed to say them? <laughs> and here's this one, this one I was just thinking this last week. Why, why do we have to be born young and then grow old? Why can't we be born old and grow young, right? I was playing softball on Thursday, and I thought that multiple times. And then I love this one. Dad sends this one in. Dad and his little guy are sitting at a restaurant, and the little guy says to the dad, why are we here, Daddy? And, and the dad says, well, um, we're here to have lunch. And his little guy locks eyes with him, and he goes, no, no. Why are we here on this earth? <laughs> now, that's a good question. You know, I've been thinking about that. Like, why are we here on this earth? And I think this is like the question, right? Everybody wrestles with this. We ask ourselves this question, like, why am I here? And what am I here for? I, I read this book years and years ago, and I dug up this quote. It was a book by a guy named Poe Bronson. And he, the book was called, What Should I Do With My Life? And he said this, he said, wouldn't it be so much easier if you got a letter in the mail when you turned 17 signed by somebody who had a direct pipeline to ultimate meaning, telling you exactly who you are and what your true destiny is, then you could carry that letter around in your pocket, and when you got confused or distracted or suddenly melted down, you'd reach in for your wallet and grab the letter and read it again and go, oh yeah, why are we here? Like, why are you here on planet Earth? Well, I wanna say something right up top about this topic. I'm gonna to tell you in this talk, I have a worldview on this. Um, everybody has a worldview. Whether you came in here and you were like, you've been going to Red Rocks forever, or you've never donned the, a church in your life, you have a worldview. Everybody has a worldview, something that you're betting your life on. And from the beginning of this talk, I just wanna make sure we understand what my worldview is. I think this. I think that each and every one of you, within the sound of my voice, like you matter, period. 
I do not believe that there are such things as accidental people. Now, I do believe that there are accidental parents, but I don't believe that there are accidental people. And I know something a little bit about sort of accidental parenthood. Because when I was 23 and my wife was 22, we had just gotten married. And seven months into being married, I got a phone call. And I was interning at a church. I literally made peanuts. I mean, like they paid me in peanuts. <laughs> and she calls me and she, she calls me at the church and she said, um, Eric, we're pregnant. And I mean, the blood drained out of my face because um, we didn't have insurance and we didn't have money. And I was like, how did this happen? <laughs> she, she literally stopped for a second. She goes, do you really want me to explain this to you? <laughs> so 20 years later, my little girl is no longer a little girl. And can I tell you that I've never seen any person who lived their <clears throat> life more on purpose than that little girl? I've watched her in her whole college career every single Sunday get in a car, drive 30 minutes away to help at a church plant. And this summer, now I know this is my kid and I'm bragging on her, but I'm telling you, if there was ever a person created on purpose, it was her. Because this summer, she could have stayed home and just hung out, but in between her junior and senior year, she decided she was gonna go over to one of our new partners, Hope Haven. Hope Haven has a school in Kigali in Rwanda in Africa, serving an underprivileged community. She's gonna go spend her summer in Kigali. And I look at that life and I think about all the lives that sit in this room and sit within the span of my voice. And I think, you know what? There are no accidents. We're created on, on purpose, for a purpose. And look, the Bible talks about purpose from the very beginning. Like in Genesis 1, 26, we find that God's, God was creating human beings in his image, like on purpose. In Ecclesiastes, God sets eternity in the hearts and minds of men. And then the verse that we've been using as a key verse for this whole series pretty much says it in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Jesus even said in John 10, 10, that he came so that we, us, you and me, that we could have real and eternal life, more and better life than we've ever dreamed of. And that sounds to me like a God who has a purpose for you. Now, I'm the first to admit, in our culture, sometimes it can be difficult to believe that purpose is really something to be had. Because I think we live in a culture anymore that's sort of just a, hey, whatever, go with it sort of culture, right? Like, hey, whatever you feel, hey, whatever. We're just sort of drifting through life. So if you're drifting through life, you better just YOLO. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> right, you better just, right now, just party hard right now because we're all just going to be worm dirt. And at the end of the day, let's just be really clear. You're betting your life on something. You're either betting your life on 
the idea that life is random and it's accidental and we're just sort of floating through. Or that you have a destiny and a purpose and a reason why you're here on this earth. But either way, every single one of us, like we have to decide, am I just floating through life accidental-like? Or am I here on this planet for a, person, for a purpose? And here's good news. You're not alone. One, everybody in this room has to make that decision. But this has been going on throughout time. In fact, the guy that we've been studying in this series, that we've been in this Let's Go series, Moses, had a moment just like this where honestly he had to decide. Was he floating through life accidental or was his life on purpose? Now, if you, I won't give you the whole story because most of you know the Moses story, even if you haven't spent much time in church. And if, if you haven't listened to the last five parts of this series, I'd encourage you, go back. Sean did an awesome job last week of unpacking some of Moses' early life. But here it is in a nutshell. Moses, for 40 years, lived at the top of the world, man. He was on top of the world as a prince of Egypt. Then he made a mistake. He ended up the next 40 years being a shepherd pretty much the other side of the pendulum. And this is where we find Moses in one of my favorite passages that just sort of sprung out to me in the last few weeks. It's in Exodus chapter four. Now Moses has been wandering through a desert for 40 years. And the Bible doesn't tell us specifically that he's wrestling with purpose, but I can promise you that if you've been in a desert as a shepherd tending other people's sheep for 40 years, you're asking the question, like, am I here for any sort of reason? Did all that that happened to me all those years ago, was that just an accident? Or is this my lot in life? And God shows up in Exodus chapter three and has a conversation with Moses. And throughout that whole conversation, if you read all of chapter three, God lays out this elaborate plan, like, look, I do have a purpose for you, Moses. I have a plan for you. And Moses keeps saying, no, no, not me. Here's why. Thanks. I'm a shepherd. This is what I do. And then one particular verse, the one that caught my attention, God says this, Exodus 4, verse 2. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? Now, let me say something about when God asks questions. God already knows the answer to this question. God knows the answer to all the questions he's asking. So if you're in a situation where God's asking you a question, it's not because he needs to know the answer. It's because you need to know the answer. And that's what's going on with Moses. God says, hey, Moses, what's in your hand? In verse 3, a staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. So Moses throws it on the ground. That staff becomes a snake. And then he says, pick it up. Moses picks it up and it becomes a staff. Now, this is important. I kept thinking, why this question? Why that staff? What's God trying to communicate to Moses? What does Moses need to know? Well, this is what Moses needed to know. See, that staff was a symbol I heard a pastor say it this way. That staff represented three very specific things in Moses' life. Number one, that staff represented his identity. You think about it. 40 years, this guy has been walking with that staff tending those sheep. That's who he is. He's a shepherd. When you see him with that staff, you know what he is. 
He's a shepherd. Second thing it represents is his income. Like the moment you would see him with the staff, you would know what he did. And just like that, you would know what kind of financial capacity this man had, how he took care of his family. And number three, it represented his influence. Now, maybe you say, well, he doesn't have much, but he had influence over some sheep, probably knew some shepherds. His identity, his income, and his influence. And here's what God wanted Moses to get. Moses, if you lay that down, what you have and who you are, I can make it come alive. Like, I can take those things that you have and I can make them have an impact and I can make you come alive. He's saying to Moses right there with that question, Moses, I do have a purpose for you, but you're gonna have to give it to me first. Like that purpose, it's in your hand, but you're gonna have to lay it down. You're gonna have to give it to me. Now, I think sometimes when we read stories like this, right, I can get a little self-righteous and go, Moses, what are you doing? God's talking to you. You're wandering around the desert. Why don't you just give him the staff? Just give him your stuff. He has a better life for you, right? What do you have that's so great? Why would you even argue? Go do something awesome. But let's be honest. We all have a tendency sometimes to hold on to the sort of table scraps of life because sometimes it's better to hold on to something than to fear what might happen if we lay it all down and what happens next. Like it's, it's the fear of the unknown. And I've run into lots of people who can convince themselves to live quiet lives of mediocrity saying, well, this is living. Donald Miller write, wrote this book, great book, um, Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And he says, you know, nobody would ever flock to a movie about a guy who dreamt of having a Volvo and spent his whole life and he finally got it, right? No, nobody goes to that movie. Nobody reads that book. And yet, it, it, here's what he says. He goes, but we spend our years actually living those stories and we expect our lives to be meaningful. The truth is, if what we choose to do with our lives won't make a story meaningful, it won't make a life meaningful either. And I know firsthand about holding on to a bunch of stuff that brought no meaning because the first half of my life, that was me. First half of my life was all about me. Now, my parents raised me in church. My parents are awesome. But I concluded at a very early age that Jesus was not where I was gonna find my purpose. I was gonna find my purpose in a whole bunch of other stuff and it wasn't gonna be him and it wasn't gonna be found in a church and so I'm not gonna do that thing and it's cool that you do it but that's not what I'm gonna do. And I could go into a whole big story about what happened to me but the long story short is God did get a hold of me and it's funny how he got a hold of me because, um, and maybe there's some other young guys in here that know this um, because their path was similar. It was through a girl. So it was, it was 1994, all right, December. And I'd been living my life sort of just floating through life accidental. 
grabbing on to whatever I could, partying, fun. And it's funny because it's like Pop-Tarts, right? Now, we have Pop-Tarts over in our office. I don't know why we have Pop-Tarts, but there are mornings when I walk in there and I want that Pop-Tart. I like the brown sugar and cinnamon ones. They're really good. There's no food in them. They're not even real. And yet, I'm like, I got to get a Pop-Tart. I know where this is going to end. I'm not going to feel good about that Pop-Tart. But I go in and I open it up. And once you open it up, you convince yourself I only have one Pop-Tart. I eat both Pop-Tarts as fast as I can. And about three seconds later, you feel gross. Isn't, that's what I felt like most of my life was. All right? Chasing around a bunch of stuff that about three seconds later, I felt gross. I, felt, I knew they didn't bring purpose. So I showed up, up at this church, and there's this girl. And from the moment I saw her, now she was really pretty, but there was something immediately different about her. I watched her in that church service talk about Jesus, worship Jesus, and there's something, like you've run into people in your life who really love Jesus, and there's something so different about them. I, I was like, captivated. In fact, I got in the car with my sister and we were driving back and I went, hey, you know that one girl? And she was like, nope, uh-uh, nope, nope. We're not even talking about her. You have 0% chance of ever getting with that girl. I was like, what? why? She goes, because she loves Jesus and you don't. <laughs> I was like, well, that's rude. <laughs> Next morning, uh, my dad woke me up and said, hey, you want to go get your grandma, we, we're gonna move her up to Rockford. And I'm like, sure. We got in the car, and that one little experience with somebody who was for real opened up a five-hour conversation with my dad. Now, remember, this was the kid. I told my parents, I took him out to dinner to help them understand why I wasn't gonna be a Christian anymore. Like, I just wanted them to understand my process. Like, I had a whole line of thinking. So for five hours, I just talked to my dad about God. What I saw, what was real, what... Five hours there, five hours back. That was December uh, 29th. Two days later, I walked back in that church and I gave my life to Jesus. I'm like, all right, all right. God, I'll lay it down. I'll give you whatever I have. And I'll do whatever you ask me. And there was true, there was, there was some of me that was thinking about that girl, maybe wanting to pursue her. But in all of that, God was pursuing me. And I gave my life to Jesus. And I can tell you that from that point to this one, it hasn't been perfect. It hasn't always been easy. But I can tell you that the life that I live, man, I wouldn't trade it. I feel like God let me find some purpose. And isn't this what we all want? I wanted my, my life in 1995 to count for something. And isn't that what we all want? Don't we all just want our lives to count for something? I was sitting with my youngest, Harry, who's nine years old. And, um, we, and, and a visual came to me about like, what, what, what's God trying to say to Moses? What's he trying to say to us about purpose? He, he has this Guinness Book of World Records. Have you seen any of these new Guinness Book of World Records? Have you seen them? First of all, there are some of the weirdest new records. Maybe they were always there. When I was a kid, I thought they were normal records. But there was one record where God, this guy, he, he got a record for consuming the most Big Macs in a lifetime. 26,000 for those of you that are going to give that a shot. 26,000, uh, that doesn't even matter. But there was one in particular 
that I always loved this as a kid. I used to watch this show called That's Incredible. And That's Incredible, you remember That's Incredible? They always, for some reason, had um, domino things. Do you ever, me, did you ever see that? They'd have the underwater dominoes. Well, this is the world's record. This is Guinness Book of World's Record. Show that video. This is the Guinness Book of World's Record for dominoes. It was in the book. Look at that. One, we could just watch that. That's super cool. I, I can't even imagine setting it up. That's not all dominoes, but it's the whole, you know, that whole idea. It's like 500,000 dominoes. And, and, and something like hit me when I was sitting there reading this book with Harry, right? Started thinking about dominoes. We're like dominoes. Like what, what God's saying to Moses is he wants to use your life to impact another life. Look, God wants to give you a story of passion and adventure and of compassion, and it all starts just like a domino. You lay it down to impact another life. Like, if those dominoes were set up infinitely, I mean, you could imagine that thing could spread out in a million different directions. One domino hitting another domino, one life impacting another life, impacting another life. And this, this is what it's about. And the more I'm living, the more I'm realizing, you know what? All the stuff that sometimes we get preoccupied with, cars and houses and money, that stuff doesn't bring purpose and happiness. If money brought happiness, the richest people in the world would be the happiest people in the world. And that's not necessarily true. In fact, if you talk to somebody who's been blessed and, and blessed financially, ask them why they're happy, I can promise you it's not because of the money. And I learned this firsthand. This last March, I got invited to go over to India. It was Scott and myself to visit a guy um, his, his, uh, who started a ministry called Impart. His name is Josie Chakow. He's wrote, written a book. It's an amazing book. You should get it because his whole story is crazy. But his story is that as a guy who was successful and made a bunch of money and then one day said, you know what? I want to have an impact. I'm going to lay down my life to have an impact on somebody else. Now, he grew up in India. He went to Australia, made a bunch of money, but he decided, you know what? The most unreached people group in the world is my home country, India. Almost 1.4 billion people are there. And so I'm going to figure out how to impact a life in my home country. So over a decade ago, he decided to start indigenous house churches. Well, we got invited to come see what they've done and I sat down to dinner with him and there was one thing he said to me that just has stuck with me. He said, Eric, back in, in that time when I was trying to figure out like what my life was about, the only thing I could think about was that my purpose, my only reason for existing was to impact other people for Jesus' name. That's it. That's the only reason I exist. Now, 10 years later, this guy laid it down, impacted one life in India. You know how many churches now exist that are connected to his organization? 7,900. Yeah. So... Show this video. This is one of the house churches that I got to preach in. This is a house church. Now, this is in India. 
where most of these folks are first-generation first Christians because all their family are Hindu. You know how many people are meeting in house churches at the same time I'm preaching there in one of Josie's house churches? 500,000. One guy says, I'm gonna lay down my life to impact one person that impacts another person. I call it the domino effect. Look, this is um, a few other pictures. That's Scott. Scott and I were so rocked by this. We're like, wait, you're starting churches? Well, we wanna be a part of that. And so we'll tell you more about this, but you can take the next picture. This is Scott teaching. Um, th these are all church planners that are going out and they send them out with a bike and a bongo and a Bible. One year, all these kids come together, they train for one year and then they send them out. So we were like, well, can we be a part of this? Can Red Rocks be a part of it? So you can take the next picture. This right here is now, um, our, these pastors are part of the new Red Rocks Training Center over in India. We have a training center in India. We're part of their organization. We are going to help fund and put out church leaders throughout India. You're gonna hear more about it. It's so amazing. You can take the next picture. Um, so this is Scott teaching those church leaders, one life, one life, one guy. Said, I'll lay down my life to impact another life. And look, I believe that this is what God wants to do in our lives. I think he wants to use us like dominoes. And when I start thinking of somebody who represents this idea of like a domino effect. Somebody who says, I'm gonna lay my life down to impact somebody else. I think of this guy named Don Offens. Now you won't know Don Offens, because Don was just a sixth grade Sunday school teacher in Oregon. He did that for 27 years, sixth grade Sunday school teacher. I will be mowing his lawn in heaven. Sixth grade Sunday school teacher for 27 years. And in 1959, he had one encounter with a broken sixth grader that just happened into that Sunday school class. Now that sixth grader had lived in a broken home. Five, six different men that his mother married, all of which were either abusers or alcoholics. His childhood was an absolute disaster. No Jesus in their home, but one kid invites him to church and he ends up in Don Offen's class. And he hears Don Offen's talk about Jesus in 1959. And that little kid did what I did when I was 21. And he gave his life to Jesus. Now, Don probably led a lot of sixth graders um, to Jesus, but this one, this was a lifeline. He saved that kid. He saved that kid. And it changed the tra trajectory of that kid's life. This kid went on through life. He got married and he said, you know what? I'm gonna lay down my life and impact lives, but I'm gonna raise my kids in ways that I didn't get raised. They're gonna have a childhood that I didn't have. And he had two kids. And he dominoed on their life in such a big way that I know these two guys. I asked him, who's the biggest spiritual influence in your life? He said, they're like, oh, my dad, bar none. He was such a big influence that both those boys decided, we wanna go be pastors. We wanna tell more people about Jesus. And just this last Easter, one of those boys stood up in a pulpit and preached to a group of people like us and saw almost 1,000 people come to Jesus, one of those boys, because that dad laid his life down. 
and impacted his boys. And this is what happens. Like when we're willing to lay our lives down, we're like little dominoes, man. One life touching another life. Don Offens, a sixth grade Sunday school teacher, impacts that young kid who changed the life of his children. And look, too often I, I hear Christians say, yeah, yeah, if, when I have a platform, when I stand up on a stage, you don't need a platform. Don Offens didn't have a platform. He was just faithful. He showed up at Sunday school every single week and taught sixth grade boys. You know people at work that don't know Jesus at your school, in your neighborhood, on your baseball team, in your classes, at your neighborhood bus stop, people that you could lay your life down and impact their future, one life at a time. And when I think about domino effect, I think about a kid named Luke. Luke was a pro snowboarder. That dude can fly. I mean, you watch him still on a mountain and he's unreal. But he was wrestling through, like, what am I supposed to do with my one and only life? And he stumbled across a podcast. And that podcast was from one of Gary's sons, that son we were just talking about. He listened to that guy preach, and he said, dude, I'm going to lay my life down. And he started serving at a local church. And soon he went from serving by stacking chairs to talking to junior high and high school kids because there's nobody cooler in any room than a pro snowboarder with junior high and high school boys. And he's impacting one high school kid after another. In fact, this was a picture of Luke. This is 1,800 high school kids that he's talking through. Now, you may not know that Luke, but I bet you know the last name of Gary, that little sixth grade boy. His last name is Brugman. And his two boys are Scott and Chad. We know those two, founding members of this church. Luke, I asked him, I said, Luke, who's had the most impact in your spiritual life? He said, Chad. Chad has. Don Offens changes the life of Gary Brugman, who changes the life of Scott and Chad who changes the life of Luke, who changes the life of, guess who? My boy, because he's in that audience. My boy's in that audience, and Scott's boy's in that audience, and Chad's boy's in that audience. Dude, it's a domino effect. One life impacting another life, impacting another life, and this is really living. And don't you really want to live? This is what it's meant in Mark chapter 8 when it says, only those who throw away their lives for the sake, for my sake, for the sake of the good news will ever know what it really means to live. And this is why last week's message, if you didn't listen to it, matters so much. Think about it. Sean talked about the fact that your past does not disqualify you. Why? Because your past has no bearing on whether or not you love somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Your past has no bearing if you don't, to care for somebody who doesn't know Jesus. In fact, those people who are in your life that don't know Jesus might be there because of your past. That's why you're not disqualified. Everybody can be in on this. 
And you may not feel competent or adequate or know the answer to every spiritual question. So what? That's not the deal. The deal is being willing to lay your life down just to impact one other life. That's it. Like when you break it down to its lowest common denominator, it's just simple. It's like dominoes. You wanna hear one other crazy story? One other crazy story, this is crazy. Gary Brugman ended up dominoing on two brothers, other brothers, they weren't his kids, two other brothers, Darren and Kurt. Now, you know that girl I was talking about that changed my life? That's my wife, Chrissy. I got the girl. Okay, she grew up in a loving home, but she grew up in a home of people who didn't know Jesus. She got invited to a church. Do you know who the youth pastor was at her church that changed her life? Kurt, that Kurt that Gary dominoed on. Oh, and do you know who the person was who was speaking the night I came to that church? Kurt, that's who Gary dominoed on. That's who Don Offens dominoed on. Because of one courageous fifth grade, sixth grade Sunday school teacher. Let's be honest, many of us, many of us sit here knowing Jesus, one, one, one. And here's the truth, Don's long gone to heaven. I've never met Don. Chad and Scott never met Don. But one day I will. And I'll thank him. I'll have to get in a big long line to thank him, but I'll thank him for what he did. Because on this side of heaven, and this is what's crazy, Don had no clue that that one moment in time in 1958 would affect tens of thousands of people. One moment where he laid down his life to impact a sixth grade kid. And literally, my wife, my children, most of my best friends, many of us, we are here because of one sixth grade Sunday school teacher named Don Offense. Now, tell me that isn't God making a life come to life. And here's the good news. You can get in on that. We get in on that. All we have to be willing to do is lay down our life to impact the life of another person. Father, thank you. All of us are here because somebody had the courage to reach out to us. That's the truth. Give us the courage to walk into this next week and be a little domino lay down our lives to impact somebody in your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we stand at all of our campuses? Let's stand and let's worship Jesus.